Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Pixis. Located in Lafayette, Colorado, they are the PTSA experts since 2012. Pixis offers solutions for conveniently measuring PTSA turbidity, pH, conductivity, corrosion, and ultrasonic and pressure-based liquid level sensing. As a water treatment professional, you need to know what's in your system and you need to be confident that what you are using to test gives you solid results. Pixis offers second to none metering technology that compensates for color and turbidity, giving you peace of mind that your result is accurate and dependable every time you run a test. Visit them online by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Pixis, that's P-Y-X-I-S, to see their full line of water treatment products. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. Hello, everybody. I'm Trace Blackmore, your host for Scaling Up H2O. And folks, March 22nd is World Water Day. So we as industrial water treaters, we might not think that we have holidays that we can celebrate. We, of course, know that we share Industrial Water Week as a celebration each and every first week of the month of October, but there are also other holidays out there. So what are you going to do on March 22nd for World Water Day? While you're thinking of things to do, something that I hope is on your calendar if you are an industrial water treatment company owner is that you are going to join us for the Business Owner Series webinar that we are hosting every quarter. And the next one is going to be March 26th. This is going to be with my business mentor, Tim Fulton, and he's going to be talking about how do we ensure that we grow grow in a smart way. So I hope you have already registered for this webinar, but if you have not, you can still do so by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash business. That'll take you straight to the signup page and we will see you on that Zoom call. Keep in mind, it's not going to be a regular Zoom call. We're going to have some activities for you. We're going to try to make it as interactive as possible. Because I know regular Zoom can be boring, so we're going to try to make it as exciting as we can. And I guarantee you are going to walk away from that webinar with some tools that you can immediately start using. Now, maybe you're not a water treatment company owner and you're wondering what we have in store for you. Well, this is what we have in store for everybody in the industrial water treatment industry. It, of course, is the hang. The hang we have done several times. They have been wildly successful. Folks, this is how we network and we meet people and we don't have to leave our office. We don't have to leave our home and we can find vital contacts within the water treatment community. And that is going to be held April 8th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. So if you have not joined one of these, you do not know what you're missing and you don't wanna miss this one. If you have attended, you of course know that you need to attend because we meet new people 
and we have a lot of fun. So if you want to register for that, you can go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash hang, and all the information for you is right there at your fingertips. I hope to see you at one or both of those events, and I'm actually not done. The AWT has got an event that's coming up on May 5th, it is their annual technical training. And unfortunately, with all of the COVID restrictions that are out there, there are extremely limited spots. And folks, if you have not signed up for this yet, unfortunately, it is sold out. But I am told that there is a waiting list. So if you do want to attend, make sure that you get on their waiting list. And you can do that by going straight to awt.org and letting them know that you are interested. There's always the hope that more spots are going to open up because restrictions are going to drop because hopefully all the things that we're doing within the communities with the vaccines and everything else that we're going to start getting back to normal soon. Don't know when that is, but maybe it might make it towards May. So if it does, you want to be on that waiting list. Now, let's hear from James and hear what his next challenge is. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional drop by drop is determine the volume of a cooling tower or closed loop by tracer addition and or calculation. Knowing the volume of your cooling tower system is important for knowing how much chemical is required in batch additions to calculate holding time indices and so forth. Does your customer know the volume? Does it match what you've determined? If you don't know how to calculate system volume based upon a change in a tracer or other chemical you've added, now is the time to find out by asking your manager, technical director, or searching the internet. It's a useful skill to have. Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. James, thanks again for another challenge. I was looking at some of the social media posts that people are posting completing James's challenge. And I have to tell you, the before and after where we are not only keeping, but improving the cleanliness of our customers' work areas, that was pretty impressive. Some of you out there have really done a great job with posting to hashtag JC21 or scaling up H2O. And I love being able to see the progress of your work. So please continue to do that. And James, thanks again for bringing us another challenge. Well, folks, in honor of World Water Day, we're going to have an interview like we normally do, but the interview is going to be a little different. Hello, Scaling Up Nation, and welcome to another episode of Scaling Up. You might be a little bit confused right now of who this strange voice is. Um, my name is Connor Parrish. Some of you may know me, probably many of you don't. I work for FCT Water. I live out in Colorado, and I've been fortunate enough to get to know Trace over the last six years. Um, he's been a great mentor to me, 
And the idea came up to flip the tables around and interview Trace um, and have him be, you know, a guest on the podcast, similar to how he has many guests on the podcast. I am fortunate enough to get to have many great private conversations with Trace, and I thought it would be good to maybe share that with the rest of you and the rest of Scaling Up Nation. So hopefully you can take some out of this. I know I get a lot from all of my conversations with Trace. Trace, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. That's uh, that's a pretty high setup. I hope I can reach that bar. Well, we'll see. I don't know. You're the one that's got all the experience. So I think jumping right into you know being on the other side should be no problem for you. Well, I am looking forward to it. Good, good. Me too. I thought a good starting point might just be the podcast itself. You've built quite the audience, quite the platform. And so I just thought it would be good to understand a little bit more about the why behind it. Why why do you do the podcast? Why do you do all the things that you do as far as giving back? I know and I see how much time it requires. So so why? Why? So that's a, a simple question, I guess, a very complex answer. I'll go back to, I really look at this industry as a gift that my father gave me. He was in this industry. He brought me up in this industry. And he would always show me when people would not respect this industry, when we were out in the field. And he was like, that's an example of somebody not loving what they do, not showing their customer what it is that they do and how much they love it. And uh, a few years ago, my, my father passed away. And I really feel that this podcast allows me to do something that I love, which is, of course, water treatment, but also to teach water treatment. As I mentioned, I was very fortunate to have my father as a, a mentor and, and a teacher into water treatment and no stranger to, to anybody that listens to this show, but I've got many mentors that have helped me with that. And I feel that not only do we need mentors to help us get to the next level and see things that we are not going to find on our own, but we also need to pay that back. And uh, we need to have people that we are mentoring and we need to train people and, and all the stuff that, that we, we mostly do on a regular basis uh, on this show. And I believe that the podcast, the mastermind, all the things that I do allow me to help what my father started with me, raising that bar in the water treatment industry. At the same time, it also allows me to kind of pay tribute to my father and carry on his legacy. Yeah, that's that's incredible. I certainly can appreciate having a father in the water treatment industry. It's it's a great resource to have. It's it's a great way to continue to build that relationship. So that that really uh I guess strikes close to home for me. As far as the podcast goes, do you have any stories I'm curious um as far as, you know, what the most difficult podcast you've ever recorded? I'm sure you get in to all sorts of different scenarios with different types of guests, whether it's difficult from the standpoint of the content or difficult because maybe you had a guest that wasn't reacting the way you were expecting to react. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I will tell you the most difficult podcast I ever recorded was episode 166. That was the 2020 Halloween episode. And I decided that I was going to read Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Not water treatment at all, 
but I'm, I've always been a, a fan of Edgar Allan Poe. It's one of my wife's favorite literary works, uh, especially The Raven. And there's, there's a lot of alliteration in that poem in words that we don't use today. And that took me so long to practice, to get down, to get a right cadence. By far, that was the most difficult podcast I ever did. Question might come up with people, you know, why did you do that? That's not water treatment. Well, one, uh, I'm always telling people to challenge themselves. Let me tell you, that was a true challenge for me. It was something that I couldn't do when I first started. It, I, I could do it. I could read it, but it wasn't anything that anybody wanted to listen to. So the fact that I did that, that was me stepping out of my comfort zone and doing something that I did not naturally gravitate to. So I would say that by far, episode 166 was the hardest that I've ever done. Now, I will say that the reason the show is so successful is because I get so many great guests. I mean, there, there's so many people out there that are just fantastic at what they do. They are experts in their field, and they're willing to freely share that with the Scaling Up Nation on this podcast. However, and I'm not going to mention names, but there are some guests that I have to coach more than others. For example, this is a podcast, and when you ask somebody a question and they give you a yes or no answer, that's not really good for a podcast. So a lot of times I'll, uh, of course, off recording, I'll coach them a little bit. And normally that happens at the beginning, uh, but then people will get over it very quickly. But that has happened a few times. Yeah, I can probably understand that. I think the first time that I was on all the way back in, I think it was 2017 now, I, there's a little bit of, I don't know if you could call it camera shy, but you get put on the spot and everything drops out of your head. So, you know, maybe there's something to that. But as far as the reading of, of the Edgar Allan Poe story, I was uh, just a, a small little side story here. My, my friends in high school forced me to take readers theater with them uh, as an elective. And let me tell you, that is challenging. So certainly I feel your pain when it comes to having to jump in. And I had the audience of 12 other people who were my friends, whereas you've got the whole scaling up nation, although it's a great audience. So I'm sure everyone appreciated it. Well, Connor, I can tell you when I was practicing, it did come into my head, okay, 12,000 people are going to hear this. No pressure. No pressure at all, right? Just 12,000 of our closest friends. I'm curious to, to get your take on, on the evolution of the podcast. I know we talked about, you know, I was here early on. Obviously, as a fan, I've listened throughout the years as it's progressed. But from your perspective... How is the podcast different now from really when you first started all the way back in, I guess, early 2017? Yeah, so on episode 182, we had my staff, basically, uh, two great people, Lauren Vonfelt and Sean Dooley. And they are fantastic. They are experts at what they do, helping me with content and making sure that I sound halfway intelligent when I speak. So Sean's got some magic equipment that he uses to help with that. I didn't have that when we first started the show. I didn't have anybody. Uh, I didn't even know what a podcast was probably six months before I started this show. I've said many times, a great friend of mine, Charlie Cicchetti, who's been on this show several times, he was the one 
that said I needed to do a podcast. And I replied back was, wow, that's a great compliment. What the heck is a podcast? And he gave me my first podcast player and gave me some recommendations on some podcasts that I could listen to. I guess it was about two or so months after that, you and I got together. We were in Annapolis, Maryland, and you really encouraged me to do the podcast. So we are coming up on four years where we have had Scaling Up H2O. So when we first started, when I first started four years ago, I didn't have any of the equipment that I have now. I didn't have any of the software that I had now. I had a bunch of YouTube videos that I watched, and I tried to piece this show together myself. I did the editing myself, and it was a hot mess. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. It was, uh, it was whatever I needed to do to get on the air. And if you have any doubt of that, listen to episode one. And you can see that there, or you can hear that there's just a tremendous difference in that. Fast forward to today, I don't have to think about the podcast. We have procedures for everything that we do. I think we have from beginning to end of an episode, there's 96 tasks that have to be done. And when I get ready for a recording, I don't have to think about it. I pull up that checklist. It tells me every little thing that I need to do. Now, I do it pretty often, so I don't have to look at the checklist, but I always scan the checklist just to make sure I don't forget something silly that's going to create a big issue when we actually try to post-edit the podcast. So I would say the procedures have definitely changed. The equipment have definitely changed. Uh, the I didn't have people. We have people now. We have great people now that help us out with that. And I hope that you can hear the progression of audio quality from episode one, where I used uh, my Bluetooth headset, and then I've upgraded a microphone. I've actually upgraded my microphone three times. One of the one of the bad things about having the podcast is there's a lot of technology involved, and I'm a technology junkie. So when the next new thing comes out, I'm always itching to get that. But I had the fortune to work with somebody who is in media. His name is Scott Slade. He's a local reporter here in the Atlanta area on FM 95.5 WSB. And he's been in broadcasting for over 50 years, and I got to teach him scuba diving. And he was just so grateful for me doing my job as a scuba instructor and, and opening up that world to him that he's mentored me and he's helped me get all the equipment that I have now and make sure that I know how to use it and even help me with some of the things in my procedures, streamlining those so I could get an even better product to the Scaling Up Nation. I can keep going on, but four years has brought four years of experience, and I hope you can tell a huge difference between four years ago and today. That's awesome. I love to hear that story and, and the progression. How do you think things have changed, or maybe they haven't, as far as getting guests, the things guests say, now that they have a feel for what scaling up is and how an episode might typically play out. Have you noticed any sort of shifts or changes through time from the content standpoint? Well, I will tell you, I didn't have to beg guests to come on in the very beginning, but I don't think it was far from that. I had to explain to people what a podcast was, I had to explain to them why I was doing it, who was going to be listening to it, how we were going to be doing it. So fast forward four years from now, and podcasts are even more popular. I think I read there's over 1.2 million podcasts out there today. I mean, it's incredible. Everybody's got a podcast. 
So with that, I don't have to explain what a podcast is, but I also don't have to beg for a guest to come on. We now get guests that are calling us or emailing us and they want to come on the show. And that's awesome because of finding an entire year's worth of content. And we plan on a year, we break it up in quarters, and then every quarter we make sure that we have all the guests, all the, if we're doing any uh, sponsorships, uh, whatever we're doing, we try to plan 90 days out because as you know, Connor, this isn't my main job. This is one of my passions that I do, but I, I am a water treater and I have to make sure that my company is working. So I would say the big thing is, is that guests are aware of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And if I call them, they know exactly what it is that I'm talking about. And I don't have to go through what I did in the beginning to explain what the podcast is. So People understanding what the podcast is and wanting to be on this show is definitely the biggest change. Well, you mentioned that this isn't your only job, and don't worry, I'm not going to let that escape because we'll definitely jump back into to how you were able to do all of this and, and some of the productivity tips and tricks. I did just have a few more questions to wrap up the kind of the podcast giving back type section that we're working through right now. Really, two simple questions. What have listeners told you about the impact being the first one? And is there anything new that we can expect to see coming out with the podcast? Anything exciting coming up that you want to share with the Scaling Up Nation? Well, to answer your first question, I'm going to begin by saying that this humbles me so much. I am in Atlanta, Georgia. I bought a microphone. I started a podcast and I was hoping just people that work in my company would listen. And now we're up to thousands of listeners and that is incredibly humbling to me. I, I am, I'm so honored to be able to host this podcast and to also bring something that allows somebody to feel that they're not alone in their day. And that's the repeated comment that I get most often that thank you so much for doing the show. I've learned so much, but I feel like you're in the car with me. And instead of driving from account to account to account and in between customers not seeing anybody or listening to a program and not learning anything, uh, now I can do both. And people have thanked me for being their roadside friend as they drive down the road. When I've been to AWT functions such as conventions or the technical trainings, people will come up to me and I've even had people ask for my autograph, which I got to tell you, I still don't know how to handle that. That is, that is not a world that I'm used to, but uh, I've got to get out of my own space and realize that you know they're, they're really happy to see me and, and whatever they ask, I'll, I'll, I'll try to do. I've taken lots of selfies and things like that. I'm not comfortable doing that, but it doesn't matter what I think. They really want that, and I want to make sure that I support them. That's really something that I find interesting, that people treat me as a, a semi-celebrity at these events. And I think you and I have been at lunch at one of these events, and you've seen that very thing happen. So how did I handle it? Well, I don't know. First of all, you got to give the people what they want, right? So That's right. You take, you take it in stride. No, I, I think it's it's funny, right? It happens. And there's always this moment of like, did that really just happen? Look on your face. But then you jump right back into the trace that we all hear and expect to see and take it uh, very graciously. So I think it it's, it's a cool phenomenon to see. And really, 
it's a testament to what you've been able to do with this podcast. And I have to say, I'm again, I'm extremely humbled by that. And I'm, I'm so pleased that people enjoy what we're putting out there. I've received some comments that have, um, have really, really stuck with me. Uh, people call me all the time and say, thank you for helping me get my CWT. These are people that I've never met. And the CWT is the certification that people that do the same type of water treatment that Connor and I do, which is the certified water technologist. And I've never met them before. They said, because I talked about it on the show, because I gave them some tips, because I encouraged them to get it, that was the catalyst that they needed to go ahead and get that done. So again, extremely humbled by that. And I had one individual come up to me and they were almost in tears and they were telling me how much they love their job. And of course, you and I know we, we love our job, but they said that wasn't always the case. They said that they were bored in their job. They didn't enjoy doing their job. And it wasn't until they started listening to this podcast and the little things that I would suggest that people do to get out of the day-to-day -day rut, they started doing. They started to find a new passion for this job. They've since earned their CWT, a job that they were planning on quitting. He's now talking to his owner to help buy him out so he can take over that company. And I'm just amazed by that story. And he says, that's because of my podcast. I said, that's because of him and he got different motivation. But to have somebody say that, to hear all the things that I hear about scaling up H2O, again, the, the word I'm going to come up with is, is I'm just humbled. I think that's why I was recognized this year with the Ray Baum uh, Memorial Water Technologist of the Year Award. When I accepted the award, I did it on behalf of the Scaling Up Nation because I feel that that is a, a group award. The, the fact that I started something, but now the Scaling Up Nation is its own something. I feel that the people that gave me that award saw that, and that's why I was presented with that last September. Now, you asked the question, what's coming up new on the podcast? So a, a lot of the same, we've got, uh, we've got a really good format that seems to work that people enjoy. What we're trying to do is expand that. So how do we help the Scaling Up Nation be more connected? And that's what we're focusing on. So how do we make it easier for you, Connor, to reach out to somebody in the Scaling Up Nation? So we're trying to do more with social media. We're trying to make it easier uh, for people to, to post to that. We're trying to do some things with the website to help bring people together. The simple fact is, as you know, this can be a very lonely job when we're just out there grinding and servicing. So trying to make sure that people, one, have content that they can listen to whenever they want to listen to it, but also know that not only are they connected with me, but they're connected with the entire Scaling Up Nation. So that's what we're trying to make easier for the community. That's awesome. And as a, as a proud member of Scaling Up Nation, I, I can't wait to see what continues to unfold in the future as you, you know, continue to apply everything that you've learned and all of your great skill set to figuring out how to, I don't know if solve the problem is the right word, but continue to make an impact. And to be honest, I, I love to hear the story about, you know, the people calling you saying, Hey, you know, I got my, my CWT because of the podcast, or you're able to help me reframe the way I look at my day to day 
work that that's truly incredible. And to be honest, I can, I can see how the podcast is able to have that type of effect. So on behalf of scaling up nation, thank you so much for, for all that you do. Well, I appreciate that. And it's my honor. It's my pleasure to do it. All right, Trace. So now I, I think I'd like to, to explore a little bit about one thing that's always amazed me about you is I see that you do the podcast that we just discussed. Obviously you run your own business a water treatment business, which has all sorts of implications from time consumption. You're involved with your church. You're involved with scuba diving instruction. You're involved with the AWT. I guess my question really is how? How do you manage all of that? How are you able to be successful in each one of those fields? Because it's clear that you are. Well, I appreciate that. And I, I think it all boils down to the choices we make. We, we all have seven days a week. We all have 24 hours a day. We all have so many hours of daylight. That doesn't change. That's a constant with everybody. I think what changes is what we say yes to. And a lot of people that I've mentored, a lot of people that I work with, I don't think they really think of the power of what they say yes to, and they default to what their yes is. They allow things to fill up their day. So I'm a big planner. I actually explained how I do my planning on episode 178, but I will look at last week and I will evaluate how last week went. And I do put a lot of things in my calendar and sometimes I put too much and I'll evaluate that and I'll readjust for the following week. Or maybe it's the opposite. I, I felt I had too much free time or I didn't know when I got free time where I was supposed to be spending my best time. So this current week allows me to adjust from what I learned from last week. And then I put that into play. And I always think, like if you right now were to ask me, Trace, can you do this? I'm a nice guy. I like you. I want you to be successful. I want to help you in that success. The first thing that pops in my head is absolutely, yes, I want to help you. However, I have to temper that with the planning that I did because one, if I make a commitment to you that I'm going to do something and then I don't honor that commitment, that's going to hurt our relationship. And I think that happens a lot to people and they don't realize why their relationships are not where they need to be. So if you ask me to do something, I need to consider that. I need to consider the weight of that. And there's a phrase that somebody taught me a long, long time ago Whenever somebody asks me to do something, I always ask myself, if I say yes to this, what am I inherently saying no to? Maybe it's spending time with my family. Maybe it's one of those church commitments that, that you mentioned earlier. What is it that I'm saying no to? And it's okay to say no to something as long as it's a bigger yes. So maybe I already had something on my schedule for Wednesday that you're asking me for help with, but because of our relationship, because of the goals that I have, I'm now able to say yes to you, say no to something that's already in my plan and feel really good about it because I know where I'm going. I've done the legwork. I've done the planning. I have a mission statement. I have my own personal values. All these things I use to gauge these decisions. And I also say no a lot more than other people. Uh, an example that came up just the other night, you mentioned I'm a scuba dive instructor. Well, we have regular meetings. 
And most people will say, yes, I'll take this commitment, normally a class, and they'll never look at their schedule. I'm looking at my schedule and I'm saying, no, I can't do this weekend. No, I can't do this weekend. No, I can't do this weekend. Okay, I can do that. And sometimes I feel like people are thinking I'm not being accommodating, but I've already done the planning. I know that if I put it on my calendar, it's going to get done and they know that too. At the dive shop, people will put things on the dive shop calendar that they're going to teach it. They never check their own personal calendar. And then I get a phone call because they're not available. And can I cover that? So that's what I think I do that helps me tremendously is one, I plan. I know where I am within that plan. And I consciously make an effort to say yes to the biggest yes when I have two questions. That makes sense. And I think that's great perspective to keep. There's only so much time. So be very careful with your commitments. I I think that is a great lesson. One thing I'm curious about, because I'm sure a lot of Scaling Up Nation thought this as you were going through it, the planning and the review of the previous week and the planning out of the, the upcoming week, it sounds like it could be a lot of work. How do you reconcile the the work that you're putting into that with i guess the benefits that you that you receive i'm sure obviously it makes sense because you're doing it so could you really fill in some of the gaps for scaling up nation of one how do you make the time work and why does it work and and two maybe if they're not willing to jump in with two feet what might be a way to to get started um, down that path. So I'm going to answer that by taking a little segue. If I were to ask you to tell me probably one of the most accomplished Olympic swimmers, who comes to mind? Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps made a commitment and a plan that he was going to get to the level that we all celebrate him at today. We saw him do the competition. We saw him receive, what does he have, like 24 gold medals or something like that? Some incredible amount. It's, it's amazing. Well, and that's what we celebrate. And, and I think that's what people focus on. Oh, wow, he's a great swimmer. Okay, well, let's back up a little bit. He did not start out that way. He had a commitment that he wanted to do that, and he was willing to do things other people, other swimmers were not willing to do. What are some of those things? He decided he was going to be in the pool every single day. That included holidays, that included weekends, that included birthdays. He was in the pool doing something every single day, and he he would tell people that on some days, he was one of 100 people in the pool. On other days, he was the only person in the entire complex. That and all the coaching he did and all the things that we don't know that he did, that is what made him the athlete that we celebrate today. So by no means can I compare what I do to what Michael did, but People hear what I just said that I do with my planning, and they're thinking, oh, wow, that's where I have to get to. Well, you got to get in the pool every single day in order to develop that habit. Now, I'm going to be very honest with you. When I first started that, it was not easy, and I had to force myself to do it, and I had to make sure that I was constantly coming back to it, and there were weeks that I forgot. There were weeks I did better than others, 
And the fact that I failed some, I succeeded some, but I kept consistent at it, today, I don't even think about it. It's just something that I do, something that I had to consciously force myself to do and take myself through. I probably had a checklist because I'm a checklist guy, making sure that I was doing all those things that probably took me an hour to do, takes me minutes to do now. Now, because I do it every single week, because I do it every single day, I'm mentally thinking through it as I'm driving to work. So one of the things I do, I do my weekly planning on Sunday at 7. Now, sometimes I miss that time, but Sunday at 7 is just a, a time. It's got some alliteration in it. And I just, I look at last week, I evaluate last week, and I plan the upcoming week. And I don't do a lot with that planning. What I do, I review my mission statement. I review my roles, my goals. So who are the most important relationships in my life? What are the goals that I'm trying to set out for? And then I start looking at my commitments. And with my commitments, what are the blocks of time that I have throughout the day? And do I know where I'm supposed to be for the next week. Now, I'm not memorizing my calendar. I'm just getting familiar with my calendar. So when somebody asks me to do something, I have a visual image of my calendar so I know what my other commitments are. Well, the other commitments that aren't necessarily in my calendar are all the to-dos that we have. And I was guilty of putting things on to-do lists or sticky notes and having sticky notes everywhere. I don't do that now. I actually now use my Rocket Book. I love the Rocket Book. By the way, we have an affiliate link. I'll mention that since that helps us pay a little bills. By the way, an affiliate link, I don't know if you knew, Connor, uh, an affiliate link, if you bought something on Amazon and we had an affiliate link for it and you went from our affiliate link to Amazon, and let's say it was $10, you would only pay $10. So it's not going to cost you anything different, but Amazon will pay us a slight commission for bringing you to that site. That's how that works with affiliate links. So with that, I'll use the Rocket Book. And if you ask me to do something and it doesn't necessarily have a to-do date, I will write it on a master sheet that I have of just to-dos. And I'll put up an approximate to-do date because eventually everything will have to get done. And then when I'm doing that weekly planning, I look at that master list. I look at where I'm going to be throughout the week, and I just simply pull things off that match, one, the theme of the day. What am I working on that day? And that's something I do, too. I try to theme my day so my mind gets in a particular mindset, and that really helps me with efficiency. And I'll pull tasks off there. And I'll also pull tasks off for if I'm going to be in a particular area of town. Maybe I need to go get my oil changed, and an account that I need to go service is going to be by that account. So I'll, I'll then put that there. It's a little bit difficult to get your oil changed in a Tesla, isn't it? <laughs> I don't always drive the Tesla. So if I service, I'm normally in a truck. But, uh, but yes, the Tesla has no oil. Uh, we can spend a whole podcast talking about the Tesla. I love my Tesla. Oh, I'm sure we can. And uh, it would be a great podcast. But for now, I'm sorry for interrupting, but I, I had to I had to put that in there. <laughs> So, uh, so now when do you do those tasks? So when you have downtime. So let's say I have a 9 a.m. appointment and then I have an 11 a.m. appointment and the 9 appointment runs until 9.45. Well, now I have between those two time slots to work on my tasks. Now, again, I break this down in detail on episode 178, 
But at the beginning of every day, I told you how I do weekly planning. On the beginning of every day, what I do is I review the day. Okay, where do I need to be today? Let me make sure I can make today the most efficient as it can be. And then I review all those tasks that we're talking about. And I look at all the gaps in between my appointment. That's where I'm going to do my tasks. And I don't like to think what task I need to work on. I do that thinking up front. And this is how I do it. I think of what connects to my mission, what connects to my values, what connects to my goals, my roles that I have, and that makes something important. So if something's important, I then look at the time frame on it. Is it urgent as well? So if something needs to be done today or it's going to lose value, it gets an A. And I just simply write a little A right beside it. Something that's still important to me, but it's not necessarily going to lose value today, that task right beside that gets a B. And then everything else is an optional task. It gets a C. I then go back up to my A's and I say, if I only get one task done today, which is the most important? And I put a one by it. And then I do the same thing with two and three. And I do that for my A's and my B's. You can do that with your C's. I choose not to do that with my C's. Now, 9.45 comes around. We're done with our appointment. I then look at my task and I go straight to A1. A little secret, and I know you and I are reading a book called Atomic Habits, and in Atomic Habits, it talks about the effects of dopamine. When we do something, we get dopamine and we like it and we, we want to continue doing it. So we can actually use our bodies to help us form this habit. So A1 is always my daily planning. And it's important because it's planning my day. I'm not going to be able to have an efficient day if I don't do that. It's urgent because I can't plan today, tomorrow. So that's always my A1. So within five minutes of walking in my office, and it doesn't even take me five minutes now, I get to check my first thing off and get that dopamine hit. So that allows me to make sure that I am walking through my day in the most efficient and in the highest manner that I can. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I think through conversations with you and obviously that, that great breakdown you just gave, I've really taken away three kind of key points from you. Um, the first being, I think it's critical to have a mission or a vision, something that ties your actions to a, a future that you've bought into and you truly believe in. Because when you have that, it makes those hard choices a little bit easier because you know you're working towards something that ultimately is where you want to go. I think the second thing is you just got to do it. You got to just take the first step and then you got to take the second step. And it doesn't have to be perfect and there's going to be mistakes and you're going to learn. But I think just initiating the process, that inertia you form is ultimately going to help you get there, especially if you're heading down the right direction towards your vision. And really, the last piece that I think is is crucial is take advantage of the dead time or the downtime that otherwise you were listening to music or sitting in your car waiting for an appointment. There's a lot of time, if you really look at it, in the day of a water treatment professional that could be considered, you know, 20, 30 minute chunks here and there that if taken advantage of properly, it's amazing how much you can get done. So I think with those three little tactics, that that's definitely one thing that I've started to implement into my life and I've noticed a big change. So again, 
thanks for kind of breaking that down and allowing myself and the rest of Scaling Up Nation to kind of see that. Yeah, Connor, I want to add, you mentioned listening to music and I think working out and all that stuff. Okay, what do you do with that? Uh, and thank you for that acknowledgement. And I'm, I'm going to back up even more. Don't try to be Michael Phelps on your first day you're learning how to swim. You know, you've got to do all those things. And Michael Phelps doesn't think about how to swim anymore. You know, he, he, he's, he's done that. He's gone way past that. And I, I would like to say I'm the Michael Phelps of planning. I don't know. But, <laughs> uh, but, but with that, uh, I, I've had a lot of practice. So I think that is key to the, for the audience to know. But the other thing that I didn't mention when I do my weekly planning and my daily planning is I have to have self-renewal in there. Maybe that is listening to music. Maybe that's reading scripture for some. Maybe that's going to the gym. Maybe it's all of those things. Well, here's the thing that people leave out of their tools, their calendars themselves. It's always about other people. My favorite, favorite, favorite quote when we talk about this is from Stephen Covey. And somebody was asking him a question about they didn't have time for self-renewal. They didn't have time to go exercise. They didn't have time to take care of themselves. And he told them, he goes, I totally understand. It's almost like you're too busy driving to take time to get gas. And that is how we treat ourselves. So why not make an appointment with ourselves and treat it the same way as we do with other individuals and we schedule going to the gym? We schedule that we're going to do whatever it is that we need to do in self-renewal. If we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not going to be able to take care of anybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And really, that's a great segue into one of the next things I wanted to discuss with you is being in the industry now for you know a little over six years, I've heard so many horror stories of, let's say, 50 plus hour work weeks with service and water treatment professionals who are overworked, they're feeling burnout. And really, there's no end in sight because they finish the month and then it just starts right over again. How would you approach breaking out of that cycle? Do you have any tips, pointers that you might have for, for someone who finds himself in this scenario? With the exception, I suppose, of listen to scaling up, because it sounds like that may have been the solution for one of the listeners. But are there other things that, that you might recommend to either reframe the, that monthly work to minimize some of the burden that the water treatment professional might have on their plate. What do you think about that? Well, I think listen to scaling up and all the other problems will just solve themselves. Well, I mean, of course. <laughs> I wish that was the answer. You know, I'm actually, when you asked me that question, I was thinking back to that same individual that you brought up while you were asking the question. And I don't think he was burned out. I think he was boarded out. He was doing the same thing each and every day. And us humans, we don't like that. We don't like doing the same exact thing, not being able to challenge ourselves, not being able to think differently, not being able to celebrate those things. Because again, we get dopamine when we do that. So we, our body rewards us. So in his case, he was actually taking my advice that every time he serviced, he did one thing different. And at the end, if you're servicing every single month, you've done 12 different things at an account. And you can go during an account review and you can say, Mr. Customer, not only did I fulfill the expectations that we had in the service agreement, I went up and above and I did these 12 extra things. 
Isn't that great to say during a customer review? Well, what that's also doing, that's allowing us to see other things, to stretch our minds, to think differently. And it could be something easy that I'm going to check the steam traps. I'm going to check condensate in an area that I've never tested it before and just see if it correlates to what I normally get. Uh, I might run a different test or a different procedure of the same parameter of a test just to see if uh, one manufacturer gives me a different result from, from something else. It can be anything, but the fact is you're stepping out of your comfort zone. You're challenging yourself to do something new, and that allows you to stay fresh, and it trains yourself to look for those things. How can I push myself? What's the next new thing I I can do? I did 12 things last year for this account. Well, geez, I only really thought of 12. What's the next 12 that I'm going to do this year? I think that takes the boredom out, that puts a little bit of excitement in it, and that forces us to grow. I think the biggest issue to the question that you asked me is people get bored. They get in a day-to-day rut. They're not challenging themselves. And I'll also add that with the overcommitments that we just talked about with your last question, not really weighing where they're spending their time. People think they need to say yes to everything a client asks them to. And it's good to say, but water treaters, I think more than anybody else, they say yes to things that have nothing to do with what it is that they do. Customers expect us to be electricians, plumbers, engineers, you name it. They, they come to us and they expect us to do that. More often than not, we accept responsibilities that we probably shouldn't accept, but we do it because we want to please the customer. Well, if we're not good at it, why not give it to somebody who is good at it? And now that freed up our time for us to do the things that not only we're good at, we enjoy doing, and our customer is going to receive that high value that they normally do with the things that we're doing for them already. Yeah, I I think that's a great point. I for sure was in the camp of, yes, Mr. Customer, Mrs. Customer, I'll be there this afternoon or tomorrow. I was terrified of losing business. What I found through the years is instead of yes, Mr. or Mrs. Customer, it's no problem. That's $200 an hour and I'll be there tomorrow. It's amazing how often the problem goes away or their maintenance tech solves it in five minutes and I don't have to make the drive. The problem solved. And by the way, I didn't lose the account. So part of that's just, I guess, going through the process of realizing that the account isn't as fragile as you may have thought. And when you put a price to something, sometimes those frequent asks start to go away. Yeah. And and doing that, Connor, I think it also does something for yourself. When you put value on your time, you realize what the cost is when you're doing something else. So you mentioned $200 an hour, and I love that rate, by the way. So if, if you say it's going to cost you $200 an hour to bill a customer, bill yourself $200 an hour. And then when you're looking at all the tasks that you're saying yes to, is this a $200 an hour job? So an example of that that I can give is I used to spend the entire weekend doing my lawn. And I now hire somebody, and I think he charges me 50 or 60 bucks every time he comes out. He's got equipment that I don't have. He can do what took me two days in probably two hours, and it looks better than I could have ever gotten it. 
And what that allows me to do, instead of working an entire weekend in the yard, I can now do one of the hobbies that you mentioned, and I can take that scuba class that nobody else could take when we were at that dive shop meeting. I couldn't do that when I was cutting my grass. So when you put value to what you do, I think it takes everything we were talking about in productivity and makes it come to life. Well, Nation, it's happened before on the podcast, but every time it does happen and I get interviewed on my own show, it's very different. I hope you've enjoyed it. I've definitely enjoyed this experience. And as you can tell, Connor and I are just having a great time. So you're gonna hear the continuation of this interview next week on a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. Scout Up Nation, we are all leaders. We are leading someone in our lives. Sometimes we are leading many people in our lives. Well, when was the last time you worked on your leadership style? This is something that we do on a regular basis within the Rising Tide Mastermind. I asked Rising Tide Mastermind member Jill Cavano how she has benefited from her leadership style within the Rising Tide Mastermind. Here's what she said. The one way that the mastermind has helped me approach my leadership differently is I like to see different people's perspectives. If I have a question about what should I do about a situation or how I should kind of, I guess, captain my ship, it's really nice to see different people's perspectives. And the in the middle, which is where a designated person every week brings an issue to the group where we discuss it and give advice, you know, seeing the in the middle of myself and my fellow groupmates has really helped me answer any, you know, leadership questions I have, really given me some, you know, tough things to think about. And it's just kind of helped me maintain best practices or at least reaffirm that I'm on the right track. When we worked on traction and looked into EOS, that's definitely something that I'd like to do for our leadership in the future. And it's really given me an understanding where I feel like I can take that and move forward. Jill, thanks for sharing that. Nation, we wear a lot of hats within our day-to-day -day job. Then add to that all the other relationships that are within our lives outside of our job we need to make sure that we are able to lead all of those relationships well. When was the last time you had a group that was built to make that part of your life better? Well, that is what the Rising Tide Mastermind Group does, among so many other things. So if you wanna learn more about becoming a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see exactly how this group is laid out, what's in it for you, and then you can schedule a call with me by clicking the apply button and I can see if you are right for the group. If those two things line up, you can be the next member of the Rising Tide Mastermind, and maybe I'll be asking you in a few months, what are some of the benefits that you've received as being a member of the Rising Tide Mastermind? Once again, that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind.